you really work directly with people and because it's so diverse you might be working with you know corporate representatives from a big company or an individual artist I still think the skills are transferable just listening figuring out how you can best assist clients and provide legal services and making people feel empowered And welcome to a new episode of Behind the Grind podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Miharika. And I'm Paige. Today we have a great episode on Indigenous cultural and intellectual property law with Terry Janke. Before we get into this episode, we think it's important to acknowledge the land that we are recording on, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This is stolen land and sovereignty was never ceded. Now, as many of you would know, Terry Janke is the leading firm in ICIP law as their founder and solicitor director, Dr. Terry Janke, wrote the ICIP guidelines herself. This is a great episode to learn about complexities of Indigenous art and culture and how these intersect with the modern legal framework in IP law. Sam speaks very highly about the culture of the firm and very passionately about the exciting projects she gets to be a part of in her role at the firm. But to get us started, we'll let her introduce herself. So my name is Sam McNeil. I am a paralegal at Terry Jenkins Company. I have just finished my Juris Doctor with Monash University, which has been very exciting. And over the next couple of months, training up to be a solicitor with Terry. Yeah, I guess that's me. Yeah, very cool. I'm sure we're going to find out a lot more about what you do. But congratulations on being done with a JD and our page and I know how hard it can be. So it is definitely a very big accomplishment. But we'll start off with just some fun get to know you questions and find out a little bit more about you outside of the law mostly. But the first one is if you could only have one coffee order for the rest of your life, what would it be? Definitely a soy latte, I think. I know. I kind of hate that I give that answer. <laughs> no, yeah. You're fine. But I feel like we should start making a tally page of how many we get of a certain order because I'm pretty sure we've heard soy latte a lot, so you're not alone. Okay. I think you just got to lean into it when you have an annoying coffee yeah. order. Just got to own it. Uh, <laughs> I really don't think your coffee order is two words. I really don't think that counts as annoying. I think you're pretty good. You're pretty safe. <laughs> No, I'm an oat latte person and now I just feel like I've become even more picky because now there's a particular kind of oat milk that I like more than the other ones. So whenever I go to a cafe, I'm always like trying to see what milk they have to see if it's the one I like. So you're you're pretty okay, Sam. Do you have a drink that you think best describes you? Yeah, this is a funny question. Well, I love sparkling water with fresh lime, but I don't think that really describes me, though. I'd probably be more like a warm glass of milk or something. I feel like you're a bit too hard on yourself. I would say you're sparkling water with lime. You're good. Okay, thanks. On a little bit of a different note, what's a childhood dream that you never got to accomplish? I don't know. I think I had a hot sec there where I was really into tennis. And then I thought I could be a tennis player, but I really wasn't that good. So I don't know why. I didn't even play for that long. So maybe that. No, I'm sure Paige relates pretty strongly. I think Paige was super into tennis too. Yeah. I always wanted to be a professional tennis player, but also didn't want to do any of the training. So... Great. Now, this one is one that we have grown to love a lot. I think gives us some of the best responses. But this next one is what word or saying from the past do you think should make a comeback? So I think, you know, when we were like kids and we used to say, I knew that band before they were cool. <laughs> I think we should bring back saying that, but not ironically. Like, just go for it. Like, no, I knew them first. Oh, my God. I feel like that's my personality. Is there any bands at the moment that you feel like you want to say that about? No, I'm really not that cool. I actually don't know any bands before anyone else. I, for example, really recently got on to This American Life. 
Yeah, and then I'm so uncool that I like got into them like last year and I was telling all my <laughs> friends and I was like, oh, I found the coolest podcast and they were like, no, it's literally been around for 15 years. What are you talking about? Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, that's good. Um, and now I guess a little bit more about the firm. So Tojoki is definitely a remarkable firm for a number of reasons, but if you could describe the firm in three words, what would they be? I would say welcoming and dedicated and passionate. Very nice. Sounds like a very warm place. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really one of those places where I remember from the first day I walked in, you know, our lawyers are so friendly in a really genuine way. A bit silly, which is really nice and fun. And yeah, so we start like Monday mornings with a whip meeting where we all get together and we talk about the matters that we're working on. And we start the meeting. Our research assistant, Gabriella, does some breath work with us. And then we get up and have a dance to a song, which is really cool. So yeah, it's a good way to start the week. <laughs> That's so nice. That's so, yeah. so nice. A bit of a boogie for a Monday morning. Well, I feel like you may have already answered this next question, but is there maybe a myth that you think Terry Jenke as a firm dispels about working in the law? I guess I really feel that it says you can like be yourself and practice law. I think that's the feeling that I have and it's because it's so warm and welcoming and just sort of human and silly, I guess. So I think when I was studying law and, you know, I always felt like the law was really professional. But I was sort of like, you know, you look at people working in the law for 10 years and you're like, at what point do I stop being myself and I start being more like that? But I guess, you know, just really being who you are and being able to go to work and feel comfortable and welcome. Yeah, it's cool. That's awesome. And I definitely understand what you mean. It can seem like everyone is quite um, rigid and it's nice to know that you can be a bit silly and have a dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And it's so nice to hear that that's your working environment because it sounds like a really supportive and, and welcoming place, which is what I think lots of people are looking for when they are looking for their ideal workplace. So it's great that you have that. This one's a bit trickier because I'm sure that the firm has so many things that they must be proud of. But what do you think is something that the firm is most proud of and why? I think just the sheer like output and advocacy that Terry has led and that the rest of the company has been involved with. Like Terry's just such a leader and this incredible woman and has been really pioneering sort of this work for 21 years as an Indigenous woman, you know, writing reports to WIPO, to the government and doing small business work. I really think just the sheer like advocacy and standing up for what's right and like that message and Terry's values are so strong in the firm and I, I hope they sort of trickle out to people we work with and you know even like despite all the work she's done like yeah we're about to start an Indigenous internship program so it even comes down to her hiring practices and creating employment opportunities for Indigenous law students which we're really excited about as well. Wow. Yeah, it's so that there are all amazing things to be proud of. And she is such a gun. Like, I'm not sure yeah. if people know enough about her, but she is such a gun. And it is so cool to see that you as an employee have those feelings for her and for the work that she does. I think it really shows the culture of what she does and how she does it really is within the firm, which is very, very cool. No, she's definitely a very impressive leader. And I guess more about the area of law that we're here to talk about. Terry Jenkins herself is very prominent in Indigenous cultural and intellectual property, having written these guidelines herself. But Sam, do you want to give us an overview of what this area of law is? Sure. So Indigenous cultural intellectual property is really a term to describe the unique qualities, for lack of a better word, of Indigenous IP. So 
generally intellectual property law comes about from sort of a Western lens and really is not well equipped to deal with Indigenous cultural property, both tangible, intangible, you know, when you're thinking about like how long Indigenous cultures have been around, the longest continued culture in the world, in Australia, you know, and then we look at copyright duration, seven years, you know what I mean? So how do you protect rock art when it falls outside the scope of copyright protection? So ISIP, which is the abbreviation, is really using other laws sort of intelligent whether that's through governance, whether it's through private contract, policy and non-legal options, including protocols, which Terry's really involved in and the company is really involved in as well, to protect these rights that fall outside the scope of sort of conventional IP law. No, that's so interesting and definitely a very needed area. And we're very lucky that Terry is so passionate about it and does a lot of work in that space as well. Yeah, no, that's so, so fascinating. And, and it's a really good point. It's so interesting that a lot of our laws, it's not just IP, but a lot of our laws come from a Western lens and they don't necessarily consider things like you said, the, the intangibles, the things that you can't see, the stories and all the cultural ways that Indigenous people have their property. And it's a really important space of work. But I'd love to know a little bit about what drew you to this area specifically. How did you find your interest or your passion for it? So I have always been involved in art. I was like the art kid in school. <laughs> uh, so I have a BA in art history and theory as well. And then through my studies in art, I kind of was really lucky to come across a few units in my undergrad studying Indigenous art and Indigenous cultures globally, not only in Australia, but across the world and sort of developed a bit of a niche interest in sort of global cave art and rock art. And so, yeah, I've always been really passionate about art. And then I guess through those studies and through that work, I was really, really lucky to make some really strong connections with friends. And one of my friends, Mooks, is a Gugunungal medicine man in far north Queensland. I've been on country with him a few times. And through being invited onto other people's country, I was able to see how the law kind of intersects with these issues. You know, we're looking at land rights, we're looking at access to sacred sites, you know, just commercial empowerment, you know, strong contracts for artists when they're dealing with galleries and whatnot. And that's really why I went to the law. So for me, it was sort of always, this is always the area that I wanted to work in that drew up a lot of uncertainty in law school when you say you're really passionate about rock art and cave art. But yeah, yeah. that's sort of my background, yeah. No, that's so interesting. And I think that's a really lovely journey that you've spoken about. And I'm sure all of that interest in rock art is paying off now. <laughs> yeah, I was very lucky. I think my parents are very happy <laughs> touching go there for a while, you know, going to art school. Oh. But <laughs> yeah, I might jump in with an extra question, though. How did you navigate figuring out what you wanted to do when you knew that this was kind of the space that you wanted to work in? And law schools can typically push a message of the typical route is working in a commercial law firm. Yeah, it was honestly, it was really hard. Like law school for me, I worked very hard at it. Art has always been something that I've just known, you know, some things, your passions, you just know you love them. But law school, you know, I felt very much out of my depth. Something I think was really beneficial was that I took some time off halfway through my degree. I took a trimester off and I felt like I'd gotten a bit swayed up in other people's dreams and goals. And I sort of didn't recognize myself anymore. And so I took some time and you know, just focused on why am I here? What am I here to do? And then made the decision to go back and thought, no, I, I know why I went to law school. I, I have my vision. And I think that time and just really anchoring myself in my own values really helped me because I sort of came back and said, just stop 
following other people's goals, just get your head out of that space and then committing to my interest area. And then I sort of ended up doing exactly my interest. So it's sort of focus on the thing that's inspired by your values and your interests and then kind of devote your attention to it. And then sometimes it works out. Yeah, no. And thank you for sharing that because I can imagine that is very tricky and hopefully that helps some students that might be feeling the same thing Mm. have a little bit of relief. And I think it is also really important to share that sometimes you do need to take a break and you do need to step away from the degree and reassess why you're doing it and what you want out of it. So I think it's great that you've shared that. Thank you. And then I guess more about the clients that you guys work with. Who are they? How long kind of does an interaction with the client go and what sort of relationship do you have with them? Because I can imagine it might be a little bit different to a traditional sort of law firm if you are working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So we really work on, I think it's one of the benefits of working in a really small law firm is you're just so random. (laughs) You work with really massive clients, like huge clients, big companies and whatnot. And then you'll work with really small indigenous-run businesses or you might work with some individual artists. So a real diversity of the kind of matters that we deal with and also the, the size of the clients. And so I think there's a real sort of adaptability that we have to kind of have. Yeah, sort of in small firms, I think that's pretty common. To be honest, I actually haven't done a lot of work with big commercial firms. I've sort of always been involved in community law and I just moved to Sydney for this job, but I was at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service for the first two years of my law degree. So I would say some fun things that come up, like you really work directly with people and because it's so diverse, you might be working with, you know, corporate representatives from a big company or an individual artist. I still think the skills are transferable, just listening, figuring out how you can best assist clients and provide legal services and making people feel empowered and just through listening and like really listening to what they want and they have to say I guess I think what I learned when I was doing a lot of community legal work in Melbourne was a lot of people don't you know you get so caught up in law school and your life is law but a lot of people don't ever speak to law services and when they do maybe they've been a bit nervous and it's taken them a while to actually get in contact and I think it's kind of you know giving them the time of day and just really listening to what they've got to say as well because yeah I think a lot of people can be really intimidated when they come into contact with legal services so yeah Definitely. <laughs> can be very intimidating and, and the unfortunate part is they generally are coming to legal service when they have encountered an issue so they're already mm. under a level of stress or feeling anxious about the experience that they're going through and then on top of that having to come and speak to a lawyer. Yeah. And then I guess is there any other areas of law departments in that that you interact with working in this area? Yeah, I guess like I mentioned, it's really, really diverse. We might deal with um, traditional owner bodies, a lot of the government work, private companies. We have some amazing staff who we have like different sort of skill sets and we really play to each other's strengths, TJC. So we have some really awesome Indigenous staff who do most amazing cultural safety training work with big organisations. We have, you know, one of our lawyers, Pat does a lot of talking. He's got a really strong way of speaking to culture. So he does a lot of advocacy in community. And then we also do, you know, some of that real traditional like legal report writing, research in IP laws, and then seeing how we can incorporate through generous protection of IP and traditional knowledge into those systems. So it's, it's really just quite diverse. Yeah. No, it sounds so interesting. Thank you. For sure. It's so, I think, interesting all the different places and interactions that you have in this area of law. But we were also wondering what one thing that you wish people knew about this area of law, maybe misconceptions that students might have about what it's like or what it's about that you can shed some knowledge on. 
I would say that the power of using private contracts and using, you know, your legal drafting skills and intelligent contract making to protect rights that aren't otherwise protected under law is a really fun area that I didn't expect so much. And that's kind of how we navigate sort of gaps in the law as it stands for Indigenous people, which is quite interesting and clever. And I also think, you know, I, I find the legal work at Terry Jenke and company really challenging. And I think some people maybe maybe misconceptions about small firms might be that you're not kind of as connected to the, like challenging legal work. And I was working for two barristers just before I came here and, you know, really getting stuck into the law and the word of the law. And I do find that I do that a lot, TJC as well. That's so interesting because I think you're right. I think some people might have a misconception that, you know, smaller firms don't get access to the big clients or the big issues or the really complex matters where they're working with intricacies in the law. So it's really great. You can shed some light on that. So thank you. And then I guess this is a pretty interesting question to be asking you as obviously Terry Jenkins is the leader in the industry in relation to ICIP, but are there any new and exciting developments that might be coming along or any variations to existing guidelines that we have? I think there's really cool momentum at the moment. I'm hoping that that kind of keeps up. I think, you know, there's been such amazing Indigenous advocacy for so long in this area and it's like well overdue to be getting this kind of momentum, but I think it is. So that's been really cool. We're really busy and we have a lot of people coming to us to put ISIP clauses in sort of conventional mm-hmm. contracts, which is really cool. And I think there's some really interesting opportunities with tech and protecting traditional knowledge and Indigenous knowledge. I think IP Australia has sort of got some stuff in the works at the moment and like I was working with a company called First Nations Blockchain and they're um, doing some really cool stuff as well thinking about how you can say use new technologies to say oh we're gonna you know we're not gonna keep trying to trail behind if we feel that there's insufficient protection in the law because we'll always be a step behind you know can we use tech to leap to the front you know can we use tech to make up for years of potential gaps in the law so interesting thank you for sharing that and hopefully the momentum does keep moving because Mm. it's well and truly time and I'm glad that people are finally picking up on all of that advocacy and the hard work that all these people have done is actually starting to pay off yeah Mm. I might jump in with another question actually Paige before you move on to our last few I was kind of wondering obviously like you mentioned the Indigenous people of Australia are the group that's been around the longest out of lots of Indigenous groups around the world are there other jurisdictions that are looking at the work that you guys are doing in this space and transferring that to what they have overseas yeah definitely so I think to like speak to as well so like the diversity of indigenous culture in Australia is kind of massive and insane so it's really diverse cultures as well and the longest running cultures on earth yeah so Terry's work you know, Terry and, and the team have been over the years publishing to WIPO. So she really is like the authority in Australia and WIPO. And there's some really awesome work happening in all the different regions of the world. And I recently did a presentation on um, how people are trying to use sui generis laws to protect traditional knowledge and Indigenous knowledge globally. And it's really, really interesting because you're looking at different kind of Indigenous communities globally and in different regions. And yeah, so Terry's work is really important, has been used a lot as a standout. You know, New Zealand's got some really cool stuff happening there actually like they've got some great laws in this area so we do look at New Zealand's frameworks quite a lot they have some actual tangible like in-place laws that are really great and then yeah there's some really cool stuff happening all over the world so I think it's one of those areas and that's where that you know feeling that momentum of not just in Australia but also overseas and that's again like working in a small firm we do a lot of comparative international law and kind of stuff as well so like the benefit I guess of being in a niche area is you're doing like you said you know international law which is kind of wild (laughs) really 
Yeah, no, and that's so cool. I'm sure lots of students that, you know, are maybe looking to work at your firm wouldn't think about the international work that you guys obviously do and and the importance of it. So really, really cool. And then might you be able to tell us three or more or less, whatever you're feeling, um, skills (laughs) that students that maybe want to work in this area and do want to engage in sort of Indigenous legal work, what are some skills that they might need or want to start developing to make sure that they would be a great legal advocate in this area? I guess the main skill I've found beneficial is listening because being a non-Indigenous person in this space, your role is there to work collaboratively, to really use your platform and education to work with, you know, use your legal training to be an advocate, like be a true advocate by listening to what other people want and then how can you put the law into practice so that there's that self-determination element, you're working for the client, you know. And I think listening is really one of those skills that's been beneficial for me over the years in the space. And I guess, yeah, like we sort of spoke about before, just the power of probably more relevant rather than community law, but, you know, how nervous people are to speak to legal services in the first place. And, you know, even if you're starting out, you're in your first year of law school and you're you're a paralegal, you're still representative of the law firm. And so for a lot of people, like you are the law as far as they're concerned and making them feel heard is, I think, a really important thing to do. Then I think also cultural sensitivity is really important as well. And I've been really lucky to be put in that space, but also your own education as a non-Indigenous person, like figuring it out yourself looking it up yourself there's so much work out there and so many advocates who write and publish regularly and so it's all there if you want to kind of educate yourself which is really cool and then I guess the last thing would be just generally for being in the law is being thorough I had you know when I was working for the barrister I just really taught me these amazing skills and I think that will shape me in the future where I'm going to be because he really scared me <laughs> into just you know, anything I handed to him would be, okay, so have you checked, you know, the pinpoint? Have you gone and checked that the pinpoint references from each case is saying exactly the sort of legal argument that I'm trying to make? And I'd be like, oh, I didn't realize I had to do that. And he's like, of course you have to. So, you know, I think you can think, okay, I'm super junior, someone else is going to check off on this work. But really you, as I think, even as a law student, I found it helpful for me at least to think, no, I'm going to treat this as if I'm the lawyer, as if I'm handing in something that I'm really proud of, even if, yeah, it's taken me longer to do this than it would someone else who's much more senior or even if you do have, you know, more senior people checking off, like be really proud of the work you're handing and be really thorough and make sure because we need good lawyers in this space, you know? No, that's such great advice. I think the third one you said is just true no matter where you're working and it is really important to be um, proud of the things that you do. And I think the second point you made too, I agree with so much that it's really important to make sure that we're taking the burden off Australian Indigenous people to stop educating the non-Indigenous Australians about the history and the culture when there are so many resources out there if people do want to be part of the conversation and be part of this space that there are numerous resources that they can use to educate themselves rather than continuously relying on other people to educate them. And also just something that was raised by one of my colleagues, Juanita, just ask if you're unsure as an Indigenous person who's the right person to speak to for cultural authorities, like staff, call up the traditional owner group and say, look, I've heard this person might be a good resource. They might have some really good advice on sort of connecting to country in this area. You know, are you filming on that country? Just call up the local body and ask them, you know? That's so good and and such an easy fix as well. So Mm -hmm. that's great. 
All of those points were really good and really important. And then I guess just our last question before we wrap up is how can people get involved if they wanted to work towards the grad job at Terry Jenke or they did want to be part of that new Indigenous internship program? How can they sort of work their way towards that goal? Just reach out, first of all, I'd say. Yeah, we're pretty welcoming. We have amazing CFO Andrew, kind of really good at responding to people. We're not that kind of them that we don't ghost people. (laughs) Yeah, reach out, have a chat. People are welcome to contact me if they like. I think... We really value, yeah, like I said, it's one of the things from day one, Terry and Andrew and all the team, we played a strength. So even if you feel like, oh, I have this really weird interest as well as law, you know, trust your goals. I've been listening to Tara Brack lately and she's all about like trusting your goal, trust your worth, you know. If you don't have a political science degree, you know, maybe you do and that's also great. But if you don't and you have some degree in some other non-legally related thing, like emphasize that and the skills that come along with that and, you know, all the weird and wacky things that you've been doing can be a real asset and you can get real leadership skills from all those things as well and they're really great to emphasize in any application to the firm as well um but yeah it's really exciting we've got our indigenous internship program i'm so excited about so if you do want to have a taste of ip please get in touch and we're always sort of available to kind of talk to people if they aren't sure like how to apply as well Mm -hmm. because it can be very intimidating um but you know Mm -hmm. when i was in law school and still now that i've finished and even before, mentorship and reaching out has been really the main, like I've had the most incredible mentors in the law and outside of the law. And, you know, so lucky now to have Terry and the other lawyers here as real mentors. Like they're just such an amazing team. And I think, you know, reach out to people, even if you don't know them, a lot of our lawyers would be happy to grab a coffee. I am as well. We've all been in the same position. <laughs> No, that's such great advice. And thank you so much for all of your time today. We appreciate it so much. It's been really lovely to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. We've really enjoyed bringing you this season in preparation for your clerkship applications. And to keep up with the remaining firms in this season, make sure to subscribe to Behind the Grind podcast wherever you listen to podcasts with new episodes being released on Mondays and Wednesdays. And follow Behind the Grind pod on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All of these links can be found in your show notes. That's all from us, but keep an ear out for our new episodes.